millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wheelhouse DNA. It's so funny that we live in a society that there's a perception of once you're void of struggle, everything is great. But I believe that struggle is essential. Right. And it's knowing that you cannot quit through that struggle. That's the stuff that's mo- that, that I have learned, you know, through my journeys. It's uh, just don't fucking quit. And you got to find a reason not to quit. From Wheelhouse DNA and Acast, this is Comfort Food, a show about life, loss, grief, celebration, and the meals that support us through it all. I'm your host, Kelly Rizzo. My guest today is a total badass who is on Special Forces World's Toughest Test with me. He's a dad, he's an adventure junkie, he's a TV host and producer, and all that in addition to being an incredible advocate for multiple sclerosis awareness. He's been in the public eye basically since he was born, which we know comes with a ton of challenges, but he's overcome those hurdles and come out the other side stronger than before. Please join me in welcoming my friend, Jack Osborne. Well, Jack, I'm so happy that you are here now on comfort food. Thank you so much for being here. I like this. I like comfort food. Like, right? this is good. We're Isn't not, it we're cozy? Not, we're not used to doing comfortable things together. Um, we have been in the most uncomfortable situations together. Yep. And the food was also not very comforting. No. Although some people found it comforting. Some people really enjoyed it. Um, but I want to just, you know, for people who don't know, we just did the show special forces, world's toughest test Mm -hmm. together. That's how we met. We kind of had some uh, ancillary friends, like in mutual friends, but that's how we officially met. What was so interesting is I found out about you so early on. I remember asking you like, oh, have you been to New Zealand before? And like everyone was like, no, I've never been to New Zealand. And you're like, oh yeah, like eight times or something. And I was like, have you been to Queenstown? You're like, oh yeah, several. I'm like, you've been here before? I'd and you're like, yeah, like last week, you know, <laughs> like it was so, and then there were so many places you're like, oh, last month I was in, you know, I mean, you named several very exotic places that you'd been to within a very short period of time. And I'm like, all right, this guy means business. <laughs> yeah, I get around. Tell me what your favorite comfort food is and then we will do the big I, reveal. I think I told you like a, like bolognese, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just kind of like, a, it's a go-to thing for me that I make at home. And uh, I tend to make with, you know, mix it up. You know, sometimes I'll use like ground turkey or ground beef or ground elk or something. Like I like to get a little, I like to get a little crazy with it. So uh, yeah, it's just like my go-to thing that I make at home. Uh, and it's usually I like that you make a bowl. And of course, I have to be like bolognese okay, and do the fancy. But there you go, bolognese. Um, that you make it at home because it is not not labor intensive. No. It is a it's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, I don't make it because what a tr- an actual bolognese has to have veal in it, right? Isn't that isn't that the actual? I guess theoretically, yeah. But in I, order for it to be, so I don't I've seen it. Does, I don't yeah, get that. You know, but a little. You rarely see that yeah. though anymore. And then also 
you know, people put like carrots and stuff. And yeah. I usually do it even just with mushrooms and. Yeah, I'll mix it up and, like that. Yeah, ground beef or ground turkey or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, my, I like I like my uh, what is it? Twenty one salute mixed spices from Trader Joe's. Throw that in there. It's good. Nice. Really, nice. just you know, adds a nice little little flavor. But yeah, I, uh, it's like it, yeah, it's always been kind of my go to thing, and um, my kids don't really like it, but I do. Oh, here, here. here it is. Look at this. Wow. Heck yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Did you make this? We did not make this. Oh, okay. We got this from a very nice Italian restaurant nearby. I'm in. Um, the so you only- even specifically said penny. Yeah, that's my, that's my go-to. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow, this is awesome. See, I feed ya. Conversation I know, and food. I'm, I'm trying to like. I'm very excited about still this. Still find out the best way to eat without but this know, is, getting this, it on the microphone. But, but this is a good like pod of meal we'll because you can just like chow from the bowl. Yeah, and we're still trying to figure out too like, hmm, are we, how much eating into the microphone is too much, you know? But I, I think we're finding a good, we're finding a good mix here. You know what you should have? You should have, you know, like old radio stations had the cough button. You should have like a, like a pedal that we can like step on well, while you're chewing chew. in case there's someone with like misophonia who just hates the, you know, weird mouth noises. Good idea. My sister has idea. terrible misophonia and she gets like rageful if she hears like mouth noises or clicking or she was <laughs> swat like when somebody takes like a drink and then it, you can hear like yes like that that freaks me out yeah she uh she was on a she was a judge on i think australia's got talent at one point and there was a beatboxer that came on the show and <laughs> she had to walk out because she couldn't Stop. she had like a full-on like <laughs> misophonia like mental breakdown and like walked like, out of the studio like when Kramer heard Mary Hart's voice on yeah, Seinfeld and exactly. like he couldn't like he would freak out every time <laughs> first off this is actually really cheers. good bolognese right oh cheers I like that this is really good is this everything you hoped it would be absolutely good meat I'm, sauce here the only okay. downside is that I might fall asleep in my car on the way home well hey once you're out of my studio you're on your own <laughs> not your responsibility yeah I cannot be responsible for the latent gluten effects. <laughs> um, so, okay. This is very comforting. One thing that I learned about you, I think right when we got to New Zealand was something that you've been obviously very, very, very open about and very importantly so is your journey with MS. Mm-hmm. And first off, I was just so blown away because a person who is not as educated maybe on that as some people who know more about it, who have gone through it. Um, You know, I've seen recently like Selma Blair, like you see the struggles that she has. And I'm like, here's Jack in New Zealand doing not only this show, but all the other things that you've done in this incredible adventuring fashion. And, you know, Years after you've gotten this diagnosis, I'm like, to me, I'm like, wait, how does he do that? That's amazing. How does that work? And I remember even asking a couple, like, what's it, what's it like? Like, are you feeling okay now? And mm. like, yeah, it's been in remission for a while, or I've had, you know, I'm in a good place with it now. But I'm sure it wasn't always like that, especially sure, when you yeah. first found out. So if you want to maybe yeah, share a little yeah. bit about that you know, journey I, and that feeling. When I first found out, it was... uh Obviously, it was a huge 
kick in the gut. And how like, long ago was that again? It was 11 years ago. 11. Yeah, it'll be 12 years in May. Uh, uh, yeah, so 11, 11 and a half years ago-ish. Um, I, uh, I went blind in my right eye. And it's funny because you don't, losing your vision, th- th- there's such a preconceived notion of MS. You would think, oh, it's someone who's, you know, needs a cane to walk or has some mobility issue. And so when I lost vision in my right eye, I was like, oh, this is clearly an eye problem or something. And so when they told me it was MS, I was like, how? That's not what MS is. MS is like you're in a wheelchair or you have a cane or you have a bad gait with your leg or something. And I just went to Richard Pryor. Like that was my jump to it of, oh, it was a, you know, that's the only person I'd ever heard about with MS and he died. So I was like, oh, oh, I'm tickets you know i'm i'm done um and that's the kind of that's the frustrating thing about ms from my end of the spectrum there is a and i and i am a rarity in the sense that there's very few things there's actually i would probably go as far as to say there's nothing that i can't do physically as a you know having ms uh it took a minute after my diagnosis to kind of figure out you know, what works for me, what doesn't. Um, but it, it was uh, it was difficult at first. And then once I wrapped my head around it and educated myself and I got on a treatment plan and then I went to Germany, did stem cell. I was like, oh, wow, this is, okay, I've, I've got this. And okay. then um, as time went on, you know, I am like quite possibly the world's worst MS patient. I say that because I don't, take my treatment anymore. <laughs> I, I do exercise a bunch. Yeah. I do do a ton of supplementation. And somehow I'm kind of touch wood. It's a yeah. matter of time. Right. At the end of the day, it will come around in some form. It's just the nature of having it. Um, and, but that is the frustrating thing about having relapsing remitting MS is what I have. Um, there's, there's a, this like, other categories and then subcategories of, you know, progressive, primary progressive, secondary progressive. There's all these different uh, buckets. Um, so, but I have, I, in layman's terms, I've got like stage one MS. Okay. Is kind of the easiest way to put it. So even when you found out that it was stage one in layman's terms, um, but when you still heard that diagnosis, I know it was a bit of a journey, as you said, to get to where you are now, but like emotionally, what were some of those feelings? Like, did you feel right off the bat, like, hey, I'm going to kick MS's ass and I'm going to make this work and I'm going to figure this out? Or was there a little bit of like a pity party or why me or feeling like grief of, you know, this wasn't the life that I was supposed to have and I'm grieving the loss of this you know, this plan that I had. Yeah. Uh, all of those things. I think initially my feeling was disappointment. I was like, oh, like I felt like I had, I just, it was just disappointing. It was like, why did this, uh, I didn't want this. Why me? Yeah. yeah a bit of why me. Um, I was more upset at like how, like my mom took it. My mom took it like I had just been, given a, you know, six months to live kind of thing. She really was tore up by it. Um, Which could make sense if 
for people who don't understand it completely and fully, especially 100%. in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so that was that was tough. And but I had, my daughter Pearl had just been born. She was three weeks old when I got diagnosed. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of time to wallow in self-pity because I had a newborn baby that I was having to take care of. So it was it that was like a bit of a saving grace, you know, having a little humanoid that right. was being a first-time parent. I'm like, oh, okay, like I've got to figure this out, and and so that was a, it was a great distraction, and it, and it kind of forced me to kind of get out of the funk because I was like, all right, well, I have to. I've got this human. I don't. I'm not checking out. I don't get to hang my hat up and just be done with life at this right. point. I don't know what my journey is going to be, so. Let's get off to this thing and figure out how do I have the most high-functioning life possible with this. And, I, and that was coming from a, a perspective of, oh, eventually I will have, I, uh, you know, I'm going to have some kind of disability as a result of this disease. So that's kind of why I, I, I decided to really just ramp up everything I could to not end up like that. Well, so thankful that you had her because otherwise you easily could have fallen into a, yeah, you know, hey, I have nobody that I'm responsible for. Might as well just have a pity party. And yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I had a phone call like right when I got diagnosed with it. I called a friend of mine who had, you know, I've been in recovery for a long time. I called an old friend who's got infinitely more time than I had, you know, have. He's like 40 something years sober at this point. And and I called him. He's a really like cynical, driest motherfucker alive. He's one of these people that in meetings when he shares, either people go like, yeah, right on. Or I hate this guy because he's so, he, there's no frills with how he operates. I appreciate and, that. Yeah. And I love it. It's like, yeah. it's, he just, he says it as it is. I called him. I was like, hey, you know, I, I just got diagnosed with MS. And he just kind of paused and he's like, you going to die? I was like, not today. He's like, cool, call me tomorrow and hung up. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, well, you're not going to fucking like. Guess what? We're all going to one day. Yeah. And that was his thing of like, just cool, bust it down to a day at a time and call me tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's, that's just kind of what I did early on. And um, it really, having that kind of, like forcing that perspective into myself and having a, a, a newborn baby, it just grounded me when I needed it. You know, and it, and, it, and it's, it's weird because I know a lot of people, and I do, people, a lot of people will reach out to me and they are going through it and, and they have a hard time. And, and I don't know how I would have reacted if I was like a single, just, no real responsibility, 20-something-year-old guy, um, I think I would have handled it a bit differently. Obviously, your friend from recovery, like his blunt, you know, call to you, you said was helpful. But in general, like what were some of the most helpful things to you that people did around you when you were, you know, either first diagnosed or just in general that have really helped you get to this better place? I think it was... I kind of quickly realized that I don't like the pity party treatment. Yep. I don't like the, 
oh, are you okay? Mm, like, no. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, yeah, it's like, fuck off. Like, I'm, right. don't give me that. I'm not, I, I just, I don't react well to that. Yeah. I'm like, so pretty early on, I established with like my group of people. I was like, stop fucking asking me how I am. I'll tell you if I'm not good. And don't assume I'm going to die at any moment because I'm not. I mean, I could, but I'm not. But not I'm, from that. Yeah, but not from that. Exactly. <laughs> no. I get hit by a bus. And, right. Exactly. Um, so I, I, my group of, group, the group of people I had in my life at that time saw pretty early on, oh, okay, like you're, you're good. And they, they got the message that I was trying to put out there. Um, and and the, the funniest thing was that, you know, I used to get a lot of shit online, just on Twitter and on you know, Facebook, just shitty people. Right. And like the moment I got diagnosed with MS, it all stopped. <laughs> it's like, kind of funny. We'll go a little easier on I'm him. like, they're like, yeah, guys, you know, he's, he's, all, he's all fucked up. Like maybe we should go, yeah, go light on him. And I do think it's kind of funny. Like I joke about it with my sister because she still will get like a lot of haters and stuff. I really don't. And I, and, and it's like, just, everyone I, loves me now. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like, now that I've said that, I'm probably going to be able to get like, you're a piece of shit. You should die. Like, well, not from this podcast no, because we're only going to have lovely non haters Ex- listening to this. Exactly. So the pity was not helpful. Like, I mean, and I get that so much because I hated, like, after I lost Bob, I hated when people came to me like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, are you okay? And, I'm like, okay, can we just not, can yeah. we just say like the positive things and the uplifting things yeah. and how you've got this and you're strong and you can do this, not like, oh, I'm so, I feel so bad. When people said, I feel so bad for you or I'm so sad for you, I was mm. like, ugh, like I just, I really didn't Yeah, like it's that. a weird thing. And, and it's like, even when we started talking, like I, you know, I think it took like a couple days where I was like, oh, you know, I you said. Like, I knew Bob when I was a kid. And, like, right. just because I know, obviously, it's not, com- it's, I'm not comparing apples here. It, it's it's no, clearly all, different. No, but. But that same thing right. where I just think it's like a weird opening. And it's a weird opening volley but to someone, you know, who's had an experience to be like, oh, you know, like, give someone pity, like, out of the gate. I think it's a weird thing to do. But society says, like, oh, you're supposed to do that. That's right. how you. Show someone you care or whatever. And for me, I was always, I've always just been like, well, just treat me normal. Like, I'm, like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really affect you. Right. You're just saying that because that's what we've kind of been tuned to say. Yeah. Now, would you say that, let's say what you went through with your diagnosis, that that was a darker time or the recovery period? And because what now, when was that? How long? So I got, I got sober in 2003. Oh, okay. So definitely long, long, yeah, long, long time ago. Yeah. You, you know what? Truth be told, the toughest time in my adult life was probably going through my divorce. Way harder than dealing with the MS, way harder than getting sober because it's such a. Wow. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge grieving process. It's, it's the death of something. Yeah. And people don't talk about that as much either. Like I've been through the actual 
death of a spouse. And I've also been through, well, I went through a divorce too, but I went through in between, I went through a breakup, which was, I mean, of course, not as hard as losing Bob, mm. but it was re- it was actually harder than my divorce even and really, really freaking hard. And it was, I remember in the moment of it and during it, I was, I was like, this is, and this was before losing Bob, of course, but I was like, this is what grief feels like. Yeah. I truly was like grieving a loss of a relationship. And I feel like people don't think about that as much, that that is, can be just as strong of a grieving period as a death. Because it is a death of something. Right. There is a, a, un, a, a united thing, mm-hmm. a couple, and that ceased to exist. And you have to process out, well, what does this mean now? How, how, do, I, how do I go through life? I've got three kids and I have to move out and I've got to do all this stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's comparable to, you know, losing someone. Obviously it's not, you know, it's not, it's a different bucket of loss. It's, uh, but it's, uh, it was really, that was really tough for me. That was a a really, uh, you know, difficult time because of all the emotions associated with divorce and like feeling failure and and things like that. So, were there things that you had learned from, let's say, earlier from recovery and then also from when you went through your diagnosis that mm. you're like, okay, I've been through some hard shit before. This is the thing that's been the biggest gut punch, but I can take some of these tools that I've learned in the past and apply it to the situation. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. It was something that, it's funny, I was talking to my, my now wife at dinner last night and we were just talking about the stresses of life and we were just, you know, venting to each other. And, and I was saying to her, I was like, it's so funny that we live in a society that there's a perception of once you're void of struggle, everything is great. But I believe that struggle is essential. And it's knowing that you cannot quit through that struggle that's the stuff that's mo- that that I have learned, you know, through my journeys. It's uh, just don't fucking quit, and you got to find a reason not to quit. And w- how it could be the biggest reason in the world, it could be the smallest reason in the right. world. Uh, and so going through that period of divorce, it was, you know, it was really, uh, it was it was dark times, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll start drinking again. Maybe I'll start doing this again. Maybe I'll maybe I'll just move away and just turn my back on everything and just, you know, whatever. Um, and I kind of had a, a bout of pity party through that. And then it just, I went back to what I'd learned in recovery at a young age, which is like, all right, don't be afraid to do work. Cause that's a huge thing. I think going through personally, I have a tendency to want to curl up in a ball and just block out the world and not feel whatever I'm feeling. Like that's my right. kind of go-to behavioral pattern that I just think I was born that way. Whether it's kind of disassociating from reality with drugs, alcohol, video games, food, porn, whatever. Like whatever can be a distraction to take away that feeling I'm feeling. Uh, I will, I will, I will abuse that distraction. And so, knowing that myself, I have to do a lot of work to not go there. 
I just reverted to that. I, you know, I really threw myself back into, you know, recovery and doing what I had to do and therapy and, and, um, and it was, uh, you know, I, 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 and I had to work harder in certain ways than I had done in the past. And that's something that is frustrating because I can remember having conversations with, with people I'm close with just being like, I'm just so tired of, of having to work to just to work at shit. Like, yeah. why can't things just be good? But the reminder for me is there is growth through struggle. Struggle is essential. That is just so profound, so important. Because this is something that, you know, I'll deal with every day. You know, obviously, yeah, I've gone through some hard times. But then I'll have moments where, and I talked to my, my sister is my therapist. I know that's, you know. Wait, is give, it for real? I mean, she's not like literally a therapist, okay. but she's so brilliant with it that she's better than any therapist I yeah. could ever have. So I'm like, I might as well just have some free therapy. So, <laughs> like, I'll have something that I'll, like, complain about. And she's like, Kelly, the fact that this is what you're complaining about right now just shows that your life is going great right now. So why don't you just, how are you ever going to really appreciate good times if you're not appreciating when things are going well? Mm -hmm. Because it's certain that things are going to go wrong in the future. Like you are going to have more struggles. And so when you're not in the midst of that struggle, you need to appreciate that things are going well in that moment mm -hmm. because like enjoy the fact that you only have like that your complaint right now is X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. And just understanding that the struggles are going to happen, but knowing that that is how you grow and it's how you deal with them that ends up making you the person that you are. You know, if something comes your way and, you know, you turn inward and you become bitter or angry and have a pity party mm -hmm. um, or why me or have a victim mentality, then you're not really growing through those. And then you're probably not going to have as fulfilling of a life. Yeah, so true. Makes me happy that you're I'm, back to the pasta. I'm very much enjoying this. <laughs> I can it. It's my favorite. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, okay, well, speaking of, you know, how people can be here one minute and then not the next, you have so much that you're doing with paranormal. Mm -hmm. How did you get into that? Like, was this, (laughs) I mean, was... And I mean, I know I I did your podcast too, Ghosts and Grit. We talked chatted a little bit about ghosts, and I know you've we've talked about this a tiny bit, but I still want to know like where this interest came from. With like the, <laughs> is it more of an afterlife thing? Is it just the, you know, it's a exciting trendy thing? Like where did this passion it, come it from? It came from my interest in the subject matter. It came from just being an X Files nerd when I was growing up. Okay, loved that show. I was obsessed with it. Um, that presented weird concepts, which, you know, as a 10-year-old, I'd never heard about. And so UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, just weird stuff. And obviously the show's fiction, but I used that as a way to just learn about things pre-internet. So I would go to, you know, I'd go to a bookstore and just go to the paranormal section and just find all sorts of books. And, and it just, I loved it. And it was just a hobby as a kid. I, uh, but I just enjoyed, and I enjoyed the mystery of it all. Okay. And then in 2011, I got asked to do a paranormal show. Like, hey, do you want to come? We have this idea. We want to decide. I think someone had read something or an interview that I had said that, like, I was really into the Okay, so it wasn't stuff. just random. Like, they no. knew you were into it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And so they said, hey, do you want to do a ghost show? And I did. And it, it plugged me into that world. And, and the, the paranormal world is, uh, especially for televised paranormal investigating, it's a really, um, it's a tough world to break into because the viewers at home aren't just watching to watch. They're either believers or they're not. Mm-hmm. And they want to feel like the experience they're being taken on is genuine. And I think because I was such a actual avid fan of the genre, uh, you know, and I did a bunch of research, you know, I was, I was well researched, if you will. And so I, 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 it was like, those are my people. Like I'm, you know, so it's, um, I think the fans responded really well to the way I did it. And it just, I don't know. It just kind of worked. And since 2000, and so I took a break from 2011, uh, 12 until 2018. And then I started back up again doing it and have been just plowing just straight through ever since. Done probably, I filmed about close to 100 investigations. So, yeah, done a lot. That's amazing. What's the craziest thing that you've ever seen actually, like while you were filming or? throughout any of these God. adventures. I mean, I've I've had I've seen objects move on their own like legitimately and have it on video. I've had seen doors open. I've never I've never been one of those people that can has seen like a full body apparition. I think I think there are only certain people that can see that stuff and I just think it's the way that they're put together. Just like some people you know, pe- there's people that can see music. And mm-hmm. they can, um, or they can hear music and like, they can see music in colors. There's mm-hmm. like weird, they're just the way that they come together. Yeah. 
I think that— It's very, like, a beautiful mind type yeah, of thing. Yeah, and I, I think some people have an ability to— that energy for them, they can translate it into a visual form. Um, for me, I've never been that. I've seen shad. I've seen weird shadows, like, moving down hallways and clearly, like, a And these humanoid. are, like, in haunted places yes. where people are like, this is where this shit's going to happen. If it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to be here. Yeah. But I don't, but what, through doing this for so long, I don't necessarily think it's any one thing consistently. I think it could be a few things going on that we're encountering, but I don't always think it was the once living consciousness of a, a human being, which is now lingering in an old abandoned asylum. I don't think it's always that. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously so much in this world that, I mean, even just in the physics world that, like, we can't see, you know, like, the quantum mechanics world. Like, there's so much that goes on that we can't see. So what's to say? Like, we have no idea what's really going on that that we can't see. I think, did I tell you about my ghost story? I only have one. I think you, I think and you, I think I might have. Yeah, I think you told did. You. Was that about the weird face? Like no, oh. this was at um, at Craig Ferguson's castle. So you being an expert, there was a completely abandoned hallway. We're in a six hundred year old, five hundred year old castle that was known to be haunted. Okay, so this wasn't like for hundreds of years. This was known to be haunted. It wasn't like I just popped up. I'm like, I think something happened, and. Apparently, the room that we were staying in had many hauntings throughout the years. And Bob and I went up to change before their party. And there was a completely abandoned hallway. There was no one in the hallway. And there was only one way in and one way out. So if there was somebody in there, you would have seen them. Like, if you open the door, like, you would see them in the stairwell. There was no way they could get out. And it wasn't a knock at the door. Like, I, there was pulling on the knob. Oh, shit. Like, there was... Like, I was turning the knob, and the knob was shaking, and I, like, grabbed it, and it was, like, shaking on the other side, and, like, somebody was trying to get in the room. And Bob was like, what's going on? Like, tell those idiot kids to leave, because there were, we thought that there were kids trying to get into the room. full house of Bob. I know, I know. Well, you know, he had his moments. He did have his Danny Tanner moments, and then he had his uh, entourage moments, you know? Um, But we felt... Like, he's like, what What are those kids? Like, tell them to leave us alone. And I felt somebody on the other end. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to let it be for a second. And then I'm going to open the door real fast and scare the kids. Tell them to, like, leave us alone. And the door was still doing it. And then all of a sudden I opened the door and there's nobody there. Mm. And they could not have run away because we would have seen them and heard them. And even Bob was, who does not believe in that stuff really, was like, okay, that was fucking weird. What just happened? And I was like, <laughs> like, that was a ghost, right? And he's like, I'm not going to say anything, but that was really weird. You know, so that was my yeah. near ghost experience. I've, or I've full-on had, ghost experience. I've had similar know. stuff to that. Okay. Yeah, not identical, but close. Like, I've, I've been in a place where I was, it was a stairwell that went up. It was like a weird spiral staircase in the center of this building. And um, I was, we just shot a bunch of stuff and my producer was just asking me some questions. And uh, uh, there was a narrow hallway leading to the bottom of the stairs. I was sat on the stair. And there was a door behind uh, the producer and our cameraman. And she was just asking me random questions about, oh, what do you think of the location and the information you've been getting? All of a sudden, 
it sounded like someone had grabbed the handle and was rattling the handle to try and come in. And I, my producer turned around and was like, hey, we're filming in here. Like, give us a minute. And stopped. And we continued on. And it happened again. And she's like, hey, we're filming. Like, basically, like, fuck off. And all of a sudden, the door just flies open. And we were like, holy shit. Thought, you know, we're in a freaking haunted house. So we're like, okay, like, this is cool. I'm glad we got that kind of on camera. Uh, later that evening, we go back into that building and we shut the door. And I was like, hey, and I just did a call. You know, you call them call outs where you just start just talking to whatever yeah. is there theoretically. I was like, hey, whoever opened up that door earlier when I was in the stairwell, will you do it again? And I went over to the door and I shut it firmly and I checked the handle and I was like, no, this door is shut and the, it's latched. Like this door is not opening through the wind. And all of a sudden, within a minute, the door just opens. And that really freaked me out. That, I was like, holy okay. shit. Yeah, that's weird. Because in like the paranormal space, you go, okay, that's an intelligent response that is not... You know, there's different types of hauntings. You know, there's intelligent, there's residual, and you start getting to the kind of demonic and whatever stuff. But right. I was like, oh, that's an in some kind of intelligent energy is in this space that has the ability to manipulate this three-dimensional physical world that we're in. Well, and that's my question. Isn't, aren't they like not supposed to be able to interact with the physical world? Or is it like Patrick Swayze and Ghost when he can't at first, like he kept, going through things, but then when he, like, really focused, he could, like, push the penny, push you know? The penny. <laughs> Flick the can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not a terrible concept. Like, when mm. I watch ghosts as a ghost hunter, I'm like, huh, they actually, they got a lot right as far as, like, the paranormal theory goes with that movie. Okay. Um, I don't see... So I, that fits paranormal theory. Interesting. Yeah, because it, it, energy doesn't disappear. Right. We are just balls of energy floating around this weird right. world. It cannot be destroyed. It no. is constant. Yeah, and it has to either turn into it has to turn into something else. Right. So what is that something else when the lights go out? You know, I don't know. And I've had experiences that I, like I said, I don't necessarily think it's only one thing. I do think there is potential for it being interdimensional. I have discussions with fellow ghost hunters and a lot of the UFO stuff we're seeing today. We're like, hey, there's a theory that that's interdimensional and there's not, it's not an alien flying across the universe to come visit us. It's someone just blipping into our, you know, whatever reality Your we're timeline, in. Like not, time is not linear. Like we, there's so much that we just don't know. Yeah. So there's, there's that concept of it being in, in some kind of interdimensional energy that is a, you know, we operate in a three-dimensional, what if they're in the fourth dimension? And we, ju we just cannot perceive it because it doesn't energetically exist in our, the way we're tuned. What if it's, uh, what if it is the spirit of a once-living human that somehow has lingered and doesn't quite want to cross over to, you know, whatever afterlife is? That's just as great, good Sometimes of a concept. Sometimes are you also just like, Nothing would shock me anymore. <laughs> I don't understand how you, I mean, I feel like with all of these shows and doing special forces and like multiple, po like how do you have time 
for all of this? And at what point are you like, mm. I'm going to just take some time for myself and I'm going to like, what's the self-care like for Jack? Oh man. Okay. So my, my self-care comes through, it's in the mornings for me. So okay. I'll get the kids out the door to school, whether I'll take them or my wife will take them. Um, and then it's really, for me, it's, it's jujitsu three or four days a week. Okay. I, you know, hit therapy once a week, try and get to a meeting once a week if I'm, you know, maybe twice if I'm lucky. So I do find I have hours, you know, you know, probably collectively throughout the week, I'll get anywhere from, you know, six to eight hours of me time, which is enough. That's so, actually a good amount yeah. for somebody with four kids. Yeah. Yeah. And this crazy, crazy busy schedule. Like when I see your Instagram posts of all the different, I'm like, how is he doing? <laughs> I have a really good team. Well, really good team. I have a lot of support. It definitely helps. Uh, and I do, uh, I do try and, I, I try and find my moments, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. What would you say your like absolute helpful advice would be to somebody who, I mean, because as you said, like you've gone through several very different, like kind of dark times and struggles and, um, you know, these big points in your life that were difficult, mm. um, your MS diagnosis, recovery, divorce, like whether it's, let's say one piece of advice for each of those type of things, or just something overall, like your mindset that would mm. help somebody going through something similar. <sighs> Things that have been really important to me, and I don't think it's stressed enough, hobbies. Hobbies are so important, and, uh, but genuine hobbies. Not, a, not something that you're like, oh, I'm going to get paid doing this or this. Right. That. It's like, no. An activity, whether it's Legos. I, I build a lot of Legos. Whether it's oh. um, skiing, snowboarding, surfing, yoga, jujitsu, whatever. Find a hobby that's just for you that, you know, that you can enjoy as a release. Because that's, it, I think for me, I felt, I've always felt a pressure of, since being a parent, it's you go to work, you come home, you take care of your kids and you do it all again. Do it. It's like rinse and repeat. You know, you got to chase that carrot, chase that carrot. But having hobbies uh, and really sticking with it uh, has really given me uh, a reprieve. It gives me that, those, it, you know, it contributes to that eight hours a week of me. So it gives you you time. But also what I found is it takes you out of your head. For yeah. somebody who's really in their head, like I'm always like overthinking everything and constantly in my head. Like I guess my hobby that's not like a physical, you know, like snowboarding or working out or something that takes me out of my head and forces me to just, because you, you can't think about anything is like playing guitar. Yeah. Like when you're playing guitar, your Are you a brain secret is, shredder? You shred? Let's not go sh I mean, I can't say shred, but I play, like, in electric. Was, oh, I mean, wow. but, you know, I'm not amazing, but, you know, I can, I've got my, uh, you know. Do you and John Mayer push. have, like, shred battles? John has given me a guitar lesson. <laughs> yeah. Um, I keep trying to get another guitar lesson out of him. But it's not like he's not busy. Like what's getting a guitar lesson from John is a very weird thing because when he is your friend, you're sitting next to him and you're like, oh, hey, it's John, my friend. But then the second he picks up the guitar and he's like, all right, uh, so 
can you play me like your pentatonic scale? And of course, I know how to play a pentatonic scale. But when John Mayer is saying, do this, mm-hmm. I f- I'm like, I forgot everything I've ever learned. And, and he's like, Kelly, just, all right, play, let's play Corduroy by Pearl Jam. I'm like, okay. So I start playing Corduroy. And of course, I'm like screwing up because I'm so nervous. He's like, why are you nervous? I'm like, because it's you. He's like, yeah, it's me. I'm your friend. I'm like, <laughs> no, you're that John now. You're not my friend, John. Your body is a wonderland, right, John Mayer right now. You're a guitar now. god, John, right now. And so <laughs> I would just, so him giving me a lesson just didn't really work because I was too nervous the whole time. So I go, and then I go to my actual guitar teacher. Like the next day I was like, oh. so John gave me a lesson yesterday and it didn't go great because I was too nervous. And he's like, I don't know if I like you getting lessons from John. Like you're going to want <laughs> to like replace me. I'm like, well, he's not available all the time. But point is, Yes, I'm a secret shredder, I guess. But when I'm in that zone, you cannot think about anything else. Yeah. You truly can't have anything else on your brain. Yeah. It's like speaking a foreign language that you're not fluent in. You're always translating and thinking so hard. It's like you can't think about anything yeah. else. So Yeah, it's true. All right, so hobbies is the main takeaway. I think, yeah, hobbies. I think that's so important. But healthy hobbies, I should say. Like going yeah. to a bar and drinking, that's not a fucking hobby. No. Smoking a joint, that's not a hobby. Okay, yeah. well... Healthy hobbies and maybe cooking some bolognese at home. That, that'll, Hell yeah. That'll, that'll take you out of, yeah. your, uh, to, out of a funk, right? I'll have to make you some, some elk bolognese. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. we, can, we can finish up our, our pasta here. There we go. And Jack, thank you so much. Thank you. For coming on. Always good chatting with you, Kelly. I know. Yeah, we have, yeah. You Let's get, do this like once a week. Yeah. You give good pod. You give good pod. <laughs> okay. That is the best compliment <laughs> I've ever gotten. You guys heard it here first. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers again to our little penny. Little comfort food. Thanks, everyone, for stopping by. And if you're curious how to make Jack's favorite comfort food, penne bolognese, here's my favorite recipe. Okay, you're going to saute the onions, carrots, and celery in some oil. Then you're going to stir in the pork and beef. You're going to pour in a jar of marinara sauce and simmer. And over the course of just 30 minutes, the sauce will thicken and cook down and your whole kitchen will smell incredibly good. When the sauce has reached your desired thickness, stir in just a little bit of heavy cream. Boil some water for pasta during the last 30 minutes of that simmer so you've got perfectly al dente pasta ready to go when the bolognese is done. And if you didn't catch all that, be sure to check out the show notes for a more detailed recipe. Buon appetito. Comfort Food is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Acast. Our executive producers are Fanny Baudry, Cassie Berman, Leah Sutherland, and yours truly, Kelly Rizzo. Our audio producer is Chiara Noni. Special thanks to Camila Goldenberg and Riley Oval Rank for production assistance. Our audio engineer is Matthew Blocka. Our editor is Nick Carissimi. This podcast is hosted by me, Kelly Rizzo. If you like the show, please rate us five stars and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. 